Yeah. Oh, come on now. Isn't it good to be back in the house? Yeah. Oh, it's so good to gather with you for worship today. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here and always good to get together. Now, a little bit of energy on the stage. What do you guys think? So good. We want to welcome those who are online as well. Just because you're not able to be in person doesn't mean you're not a part of the church. And so it's good to have you wherever you're watching from. Now, we are a community following Jesus, learning to love. And if you remember, I know it's been five months, but if you remember, we used to talk to each other in, in this place. Do you remember that? We would have a question. And so I have a strange question for you today. Are you ready for a st strange question? Here it is. What is your perfect salad. What is your perfect salad? I know a little strange question, but we're going to come back to it. Now, if you're in the room and you want to talk to the person next to you, that's fine. Uh, just keep some distance, if you would. Online, if you'll go ahead and let us know in the chat bar, uh, to my left, your right, let us know what your perfect salad is, and, uh, and then grab a seat where you are. But you can go ahead and share that wherever you are online and here. What is your perfect salad? Joe, what's your perfect salad? Uh, one with a lot of meat and cheese, like a chef. Chef salad. Chef salad. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Meat perfect. and cheese. What about you, John? What do you like? A lot of meat and cheese are the one that passes by. One that, uh, the, the, one that one that passes you by. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Maggie, anything? Potato salad. Potato salad. That'll work. Potato salad. Go ahead and grab a seat when you're done. I love it. Now, uh, we asked. Uh, we asked the tech crew and the band this morning early on when we were here for rehearsals what your favorite salad was. And Dave, who plays the bass, last one off the, the, the platform, uh, Dave had this crab salad, crab louie salad, somewhere in San Francisco. And it's like his perfect salad. And then a few minutes later, one of the uh, members, uh, volunteers said, my favorite, the perfect salad is the one that passes me by. So I have space on my plate for the real food once it gets to me. I thought that was pretty good. So um, you're wondering why we'd be talking about salads this morning, and I promise we will come back to it. Online, I hope you shared what your perfect salad is. And uh, some said, like Joe, if you heard Joe talking, he said, my perfect salad is one with a lot of meat on it. So like a steak salad or a chef salad, um, uh, all kinds of different, and a pasta salad, which has a lot of the uh, Italian meats on the top of it with a lot of cheese on it. Uh, so we'll come back to the salads. Anyway, uh, like I said, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here. Always good to gather with you. It's just so much fun for me to have people in the room. I'm going to be giddy all morning. I will try to keep my comments limited. I want to thank those who couldn't be here, who got the cutouts, who bought the cutouts, the McDowell cutouts, which are around the room. And I will especially want to thank my friend John Nilsson, who sent in a cutout of himself sleeping so that I could have right in front of me uh, a picture of him sleeping and our staff, rather than cutting that one out and not using it, re refusing it, uh, our staff decided it would be a fun joke to play on me to have John right in front of the camera that I'm supposed to talk to sleeping. So John, I appreciate that. Uh, today we will send you a bill for all the cutouts because of your actions this morning. All right, so a couple quick announcements and then we're going to jump right into the message. The first announcement is this. 
Uh, some have asked about the reservation system and why we're doing uh, kind of the pre-registration on, on Sunday mornings and what that's all about. Really, the, the most important part of it is about our children's ministry because we want to give our children's ministry plenty of opportunity to prepare to serve our families as, as best they can. They're trying to keep capacity in the classrooms at a certain level to keep us safe. And so if you would please pre-register every week, just let us know. Uh, how many kids are going to be coming. That's the primary reason. The second reason is about this space. We want to be sure we can have plenty of distance and and, uh, space in this room. And so we're going to watch the pre-registrations. And as the number gets to a certain level, we'll start introducing uh, more services. Does that make sense? And so the more that are pre-registered, we're not going to turn people away. So if you forget to pre-register, just come on. It's fine. We want visitors and guests to join us. Invite your friends and your family to be back in this place, but we we also just want to be able to prepare for as many people as want to gather in this place, and so we're going to roll that out over the coming weeks. Cool? Sound good? So McDowell.Church, up at the top, you can just click uh, that button. Let us know that you're coming. Those uh, reservations will open every Sunday. So this morning, reservations for next weekend uh, open. So if you want to register, you can do If I get boring during the message and you kind of camp out and you can just go ahead and do that, I'll think you're reading your Bible. It'll be perfect. Second thing I want to let you know about is uh, re-engage. And I am incredibly excited about this ministry. I think it'll be one of our keystone ministries going into the future because so many people in our community our larger community, uh, want to strengthen or save their marriage. And re-engage is all about helping two two people uh, as a couple walk into a healthier version, what God has planned for their their marriage. And we had a a team of volunteers uh, pilot this, and they spent Uh, I think 15 weeks almost going through this together. And uh, so we have mentor couples who will be working with new couples who are signing up to be a part of it. It's like a 10 to 13 week journey, I believe, uh, which begins in two weeks. And so if you are a couple who has a really good marriage and you're like, we just... We just want to have like a, a spark, another spark in, in, in our marriage. This might be the perfect thing for you. Or if you're someone who feels like your marriage has, has gotten a little stale and you feel like, oh, I don't even know if we can save this, if there's anything left to save. Or if you've been uh, quarantined for any amount of time and you feel like, is my marriage ever going to make it through this time? This is a great ministry for you. We're going to have a couple of different options. We're going to have in-person and we're going to have an online option as well. And so today is a great time to find out a little bit more about it because Don Doe, uh, one of our pastors, is going to be in the lobby after this service to answer any questions you might have. And if you're online and you have questions about re-engage, you can put it in the, in the chat bar, your phone number, your email address, and we'll give you a call this week and connect with you about re-engage. Good? It's going to be a great ministry. We're excited about it kicking off. I think we already have about 10 couples registered for this, this next season. All right. The church. I want to talk for a couple minutes uh, this, this morning about the church. And I know that I am a church nerd. I kind of geek out over the church. And I want to I talk a, a little about history of the church. And some of you, uh, when I say that, you think, oh, my goodness, this is going to be boring. And I sure hope this isn't boring. 
Because when God envisioned the church and when Jesus kicked off the beginning of the church, kind of the launch point of the church, day one, opening day of the church, it was not boring at all. In fact, what happened in the early church and to this day was a world-changing movement of people who believed that God cared and was with them and was in them by the Spirit to literally change the world. And listen, there's been no other movement in human history that has done what the church has done. And so when we talk about the church, we're talking about not something that's boring. We're not talking about something you just go to on a Sunday morning or that you watch online on a Sunday morning. We're talking about a movement of people. So I want to talk a little bit about the church. Now, I asked you the question about salads because I read a book a few years ago called Fellowship of Difference. And the author had this, uh, I think, a, a beautiful metaphor picture of what he believed the church was. So this was, this was his theory, his idea, his concept, was that the church is much like a salad. And uh, we all experience salads in different ways. And he said there's really three ways we experience salads. The American salad, the weird salad, and the right salad, okay? So here's his, here's his theory. This, this is kind of what he puts forth. The, the American salad is the salad in which there are as many greens as you can get into a bowl because it's the cheapest ingredient, sprinkled with a couple other ingredients, and then smothered with a salad dressing that ruins all the flavors of the salad itself. Anybody experience that kind of salad? Anybody love that kind of salad? As much dressing as you can get on it so you don't have to taste the greens? Yes, me too. That's the American salad. The wrong salad, he says, is the salad which separates all the ingredients and keeps them from touching each other and eating each ingredient one at a time but making sure they do not mix in any way whatsoever. And if you have dressing on the side that you can maybe dip some of the salad into, but he said that's just the, that's just the weird way to do salad. Anybody like that kind of salad where it's all separated and nothing touches anything else? Yeah. So the author, I'm, I'm not saying this, but the author said this. Y'all are just weird. Okay? Now, the right way, he said, to do a salad. The right way to do a salad is where you have all these different ingredients. And by mixing the ingredients together and by, by the beauty of everything being with each other and just a little bit of dressing, you don't need a lot of salad dressing because the flavors that come together when the ingredients come together are what make the salad great. That the beauty of that salad. Now, one of my favorite salads in town is at Wildflower. Have you ever been to Wildflower? If you've ever been to Wildflower and ordered the chopped salad with salmon, um, the salad comes out in a weird way. It comes out in this bowl where all the ingredients are in little strips. It's like a chopped salad. They're all in strips. And when I first got the salad, I ate it like that, like one strip at a time. And it wasn't very good. I mean, it just was kind of gross and I wanted some steak or something to put on it. And you're like, there's salmon. I'm like, yeah, but steak would make everything better. So like something different. And then my wife, who does salads right, she mixed it all up for me, put a little bit of dressing, and it was like a whole new experience for me. The chopped salad all in. And so Scott McKnight, the author of this book, Fellowship of Difference, he believes this is what the church is supposed to be. And in many ways, we have done the American thing or the wrong thing with the church in that we've separated all the ingredients, all the difference from one another. 
and we have removed everything that makes the flavor so good about the church, or we have drenched it and covered it in something to cover up the beauty of the difference among us. Like, that's his whole premise. And here's what he says. God has designed the church, and this is the heart of Paul's mission. Now, if, if, if you've read the Bible in the New Testament, and that New Testament is, is the story, it begins with the stories of Jesus and then goes into uh, letters to churches, and Paul wrote most of that. And his mission, according to, to Scott McKnight, and I would agree with this, is that the church was designed by God to be a fellowship of difference and difference. Difference in that the church was kicked off to change the world, to literally change the world, and that the church was to be a fellowship of people from many different spheres of culture coming together to add this flavor of humanity that would literally change the world at large. Are you with me? And that that is what the church is. Now, in our day and age, and there's a lot of writing in the last 10 years about this, if you want to read about this, some of you have probably already read about it, it's called tribalism. Have you heard about tribalism? That kind of ingrained in the human psyche is this tendency that we all have to move into people who are just like us, places that like insulate us from people who are different, or who have different ideas or different thoughts. This is tribalism. And it's, uh, they, they say, those who, who have done a lot of research throughout human history, is that it's just natural to us to isolate ourselves, to, re, uh, to surround ourselves with people who are just like us. And what, what Scott would suggest and what the Bible suggests is that this is not God's ideal for the church, but that the church is supposed to be, it is intended to be, a fellowship, a family, a community of difference who are together making a difference in the world. And that this is how God will change and transform the world for his good and for our good. Are you with me? Amen. Now, I mean, years ago, when we met as a church, some, sometimes people would say amen when they heard something good. And I mean, that was good, that God wants to change the world through the church. Amen. That's all we got. Amen. That's what he kicked off. Okay, now you're with me. Now, see, online, I know you guys are saying amen loud, and I'm so happy I just can't hear you. Now, a little bit of history. Now, you history buffs are going to love the next couple minutes. Some of you might drift off to sleep like John in the back, and that's okay. I'll call you back in a couple minutes. The word that, it, when we read our English Bible, the word that, that we see that is church is translated from a Greek word, and I'm going to teach you some Greek today. How many of you want to learn some Greek today? Have you ever had a Greek salad? Greek salads are good. Anyway, um, the, <laughs> the Greek word is ekklesia. Can you say that? Ekklesia. Ekklesia is the word in Greek, in the original language of the Bible, ekklesia is the word that is most often translated in our Bible, English Bible, to the word church. Ekklesia literally meant the assembly or the gathering or the movement of people. Now, I want you to like, put this in your mind for a couple of minutes. Like, try to hold on to this. That the idea that we have translated to the word church was this assembly, this gathering, this movement of people. And it didn't take very long for this concept, this idea, 
to, to radically change because of a bad translation. Uh, about 300 years into the, this movement called the church, uh, there was a German word that began to replace the idea of ecclesia. And the German word, I, I can't even say it, but the German word is, uh, you can see it, uh, Kirche, but if you're German, you've got to like, Kirche, something, something according to that, I don't know. Some of you might know, if you do, like, email me, joe at mcdowell.church, and let me know how, how to say it. Kirche, um, and it's really not good to do that right now unless you have a mask on. So uh, Kirche literally meant the Lord's house. And before Christianity, this word referred to a place where religious uh, activity happened, a sacred place for religious activity to happen. And so ecclesia, the gathering, the assembly, the movement of people slowly began to be changed to the church, which was a place where religious stuff happened. Are you with me? Now, do you see how a little shift in language can radically transform a theological idea that God had for our world? Are you with me? Come on now. This, this radically changes the way that we view church. We uh, don't often see the concept of church being our, our, our movement, our, our, our gathering, our assembly, our family, our community, whatever, however you want to refer to that, we often see church as something we come to one day a week in order to do something in a certain space. Are you with me? Like church is where I go on Sundays to sing some songs and to listen to a message. That's what church is. And what, what God, I think, had in mind was far different than that. Is church a movement of people, or is church a, a physical place to go? Now, this is a radical shift for us in our day because of what has been so ingrained in our minds. Like, we've just come to say things like, are you going to church today? Are you going to church? When's our church going to reopen and I think what God would say is the church is never closed because the church is people. The only time the church closes is when people quit moving. When, when people quit being transformed by the Spirit, that's when the church closes. The church doesn't close when you just simply can't gather together. The church only closes when you just quit loving the world as Jesus loved the world. That's when the church closes its doors because the church isn't a building or a location. Now, uh, I want to set up a story of Jesus, and I want you to see kind of the first place where church shows up in the Scripture. If you drifted off because of history, come back because Jesus is involved now. <laughs> Here we go. Jesus had a bunch of his disciples with him, and they were in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus, with all of his disciples gathered around. Now, time out. His disciples made up a very different kind of a crowd. You had fishermen. You had a couple that were known as sons of thunder because they liked to yell and scream at other people. Sons of thunder. Do you know any sons of thunder in your life? Don't look at the person next to you. That is not a good thing to do. That will create awkward conversations later. Sons of thunder in the group. They had Matthew, who was a tax collector, who, who, who took their money on behalf of Rome, 
who they viewed, now go with me here, they viewed Rome as an oppressor who had uh, illegally come into their land and taken their land. Matthew not only took their money on behalf of Rome, he took a little bit extra for himself. He lied to them so that he could pad his own pockets. Are you with me? So Matthew, who's a part of this little group of disciples, was there. And then you had Simon the Zealot. And zealots in this day and age believed that the way to overcome Rome was to take up arms and to begin a revolution physically with a military. Now, can you imagine those conversations over lunch? Throwing salad at each other? (laughs) Greek salad in that day? Right? You had someone, listen, I mean, think about this. You had someone who politically worked on behalf of Rome and someone who believed that that was illegal in the same group of 12 who believed the only way for God to come back was to kill the others in a little small group of 12 who traveled together for like three years. Can you imagine the tension in that? It was a fellowship of difference. Different ideas, different thoughts, different political motivations. Are you with me? And Jesus invited them all into his little circle. He said, I want you, and I want you, and I want you. And I know you're different, and I know you have different ideals, but just stick with me a while. And so Jesus is with them, and they're they're in this place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, there were crazy acts of worship. There, were, there was worship where they worshiped to different kinds of gods. They did physical things to one another. They, they killed things. Uh, there, were, there were sexual things that happened to God. I mean, all these weird different things that happened. And this is where Jesus was with his disciples. And he says to his disciples as they're kind of gathered in this city, this little village, and he says, who do people say that I am? And his disciples have all these different answers. Well, they say that you're so-and-so who's come back from the dead. You're Elijah, you know, whatever. And then Jesus looks at them and he says, but who do you say that I am? Like, I don't want to know what everybody else says. I want to know what you say. Who do you think that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up. And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Like, you're not just a human. You're not just a great teacher. You're not just a rabbi. You're not just the person I'm following. You are literally the Messiah and the Savior of the world. You are God in the flesh. You're God in the flesh. And Jesus looks at Simon, and he says, you are blessed, Simon, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. This isn't something you came up with on your own. Like, God has done this. And then Jesus says to Simon, He says, now I will say to you that you are Peter. He changes his name, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not prevail against it. All the powers of hell. This is in Matthew chapter 16. All the powers of hell will not prevail against it. Well, uh, one of the translations here is the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, if you have gates... Are those gates like moving or are they holding things back? Gates are holding things back. And what Jesus says is that the church, you you are the church, the church will be so strong in its movement, not in a building, that the gates of hell will not be able to hold back the movement of the church when it is doing what the church is supposed to do. And listen, we look around our world today and we, look and, we, and we think there is a lot of evil. Would you agree there's a lot of evil in our world? And God says that's what the church is to be about. 
is to be a movement of love and grace and mercy unlike anyone has ever seen. And the gates of hell literally cannot hold back that kind of movement of people. It's not about a building. It's not about four walls and some chairs and some worship songs and someone standing up and saying some things. The church is a movement of people. You are the church and I am the church. When we make the declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and this is good news for everyone because no one is held back from the table. Is anyone still with me? Everyone is invited to the table of God. And it's not bound by political motivations, ethnic barriers, neighborhoods, your financial status. It just doesn't matter when it comes to God. And it shouldn't matter when it comes to the church. Everyone, everyone valuable. A son or a daughter of God created in his image. Now, I believe that the most important question Jesus ever answered or asked in all of scripture is this one. Who do you say that I am? That's a it's a extremely personal question, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? Not who does the world think that I am? Not who did your parents say that I was. Not, you know, who does your youth group say that I am. Not who does your classroom. Not who does your teacher. No, no. Who do you say that I am? And this is what brings you into the church. This is what includes you in the circle is how you answer this simple question. And it's not about your, again, political motivations, your financial status, it's not even, now this is dangerous for me to say. Some of you are gonna email me. It's not even about the way that you're living your life. Your lifestyle, your words, your action right now. It's all based on the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. And that's what it means to say, you are the Messiah. You are my savior. I am not my savior. I cannot work my way into God's good graces. It's you alone. And I think it's good every now and then to come back to this question and ask it of ourselves again. Who do I say that Jesus is? And so that's my question this morning as we get started on this concept of the church, like who do I say that Jesus is? And I want to, those who are online, who do you say that Jesus is today? A good teacher? a religious leader from a couple thousand years ago who had some good concepts and, or is he the Messiah, the savior, the king and leader of your life? And no one is excluded from that. And that's good news, isn't it? It's good news for me because I know myself well enough to know that I'm not good enough to work my way back to God. I just can't do it. It's only based on the goodness of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to um, sing this song that is uh, one of our favorites. Uh, I, I raise a hallelujah 
in the presence of everything that's going on in, in the world, that when we declare our allegiance to Jesus, King Jesus, first and foremost, as the Messiah and the Savior, no matter what it is that's going on around us, we realize that none of those things can truly save us. There's none of the powers of the world that we can give allegiance to that can do what King Jesus can do. So who do you say that Jesus is this morning? Father God, I thank you that you didn't stand at a distance. I thank you that you entered into human flesh and blood through the person of Jesus. And this morning, we're all confronted with this question. Who do we say that he is? And so God, I declare my response to that is that you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Savior of my life. And because of what you accomplished on the cross, I have passed from death to life. I am included at the table because of you, not because of me. And God, I raise a hallelujah just to say thank you for who you are and all you've done. Okay, grab a seat. Just a couple more minutes. Are you still with me? Are you still with us? I, part of me just wants to sing all morning. <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay, real quick. So, Jesus established the church based on not Peter. Now, one of the, the things that, that um, if, if you've got a Catholic background and you think about the, the concept of a pope, uh, many scholars, uh, Catholic scholars, would say that this was Jesus uh, with Peter establishing the, the concept of the pope and that Jesus was building the church around a pope. Most scholars would say, no, 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 it wasn't building a church around a pope. It was, it was building a church around a, a declaration that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is the primary difference between uh, what are called Protestant churches and the Catholic church, really. Um, but we all, Catholics and, and Christians alike, declare that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Now, the beginning of the church, I just want to share this real quickly because it's so cool that you had Jesus crucified and resurrected and Jesus told his disciples, hey, just wait in Jerusalem because the, the, the Holy Spirit, which will be your power, is going to come upon you in a way that is unexplainable. And if you read through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 specifically talks about people who had gathered in Jerusalem from many different ethnicities and groups and places in the world, probably 14 different languages based on the list that we have. 14 different languages. And that when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the disciples, when, when Peter began to speak, each different group heard him speaking in their own language. Is that unbelievable? They heard him speaking in in their own language because of the power of the Holy Spirit that was behind the movement of people that had declared Jesus as the Messiah. Now stay with me just for a minute. What happened next that launched the church is what is supposed to be happening within and among us today. That, that Peter described what had happened through Jesus. Now listen, 
This wasn't in a different city. This was exactly where Jesus had been crucified, the same exact city. A lot of different estimates of the size of the city at the time, the population, but probably around 100,000 people in Jerusalem at the time. Are you with me? 100,000 people in Jerusalem at the time. Most of them had heard about this thing with Jesus that he had been crucified and buried, right? And Peter speaks up and declares that this Jesus that you killed came back from the dead, he was resurrected, and now is at the right hand of the Father. And when we declare him as king and as Messiah, the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead actually works in us as well. And no one is exempt from being able to sit at this table. No one is held back from this table. Everyone is included. 14 languages, nationalities, uh, groups, however you want to think about that. Like everyone there was included at the table. And Paul or Peter was just declaring the truth about that. Now listen, 3,000 people, it tells us. A lot, yeah. That's a lot. 3,000 people. In a city of 100,000, 3,000 is significant, isn't it? 3,000 people in that moment repented, declared Jesus as king, and were baptized to launch the church. 3,000 people on day one. That's amazing, isn't it? Now listen, if you think about just the logistics, one of them could have stood up and said, time out, Peter, I was there. It just happened two weeks ago. I was there, and I want to take you to the tomb right now because he's still in the tomb. He's still there. Come with me. It's just down the street, not very far from here. Jerusalem wasn't huge in terms of like the the land mass, just come with me. Come on, I'm gonna show you. Five people could have stood up and said, Peter, that's a lie, not true. Let's go to the tomb where he's buried. But it didn't happen because Jesus wasn't there. What launched the church was the event that took place, Jesus crucified and resurrected, and that same power, we're told, is the same power that is to fill the believers, those who declare Jesus is Messiah. Are you with me? That's the power behind the church today. The power behind the church has nothing to do with the powers of the world. It's an inclusive power that brings everyone to the table based on the declaration that Jesus is Messiah. Are you with me? And that is the beauty of the salad done the right way. All of us from different places, different ideas, but humble enough to say my ideas have to be put underneath the kingship of Jesus. My perspective has to be put under the kingship of Jesus. And that is what is at the center of this church, the kingship of Jesus. And we may disagree on a lot of different things, but we're gonna agree on that one thing. Can I get an amen in the room? That Jesus is king and he is the Messiah. So, the church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life as a new kind of family. And when this happens, when this happens, we show the world what love and justice and peace and reconciliation and life together are designed by God to be. Not tribalism that pulls us apart, 
but unity that brings us together based on Jesus as Messiah. And it's up to us, it's up to us to be a part of that kind of movement. So here's the statement I want to give you, and I want you to talk about at lunch and every day this week if you can. You with me? And I'm going to say it, and then I want you to say it with me. And once you say it, you're in. Here's, here's the statement. I don't just go to church. I am the church. How I respond is how the church responds. How I love is how the church loves. See, every now and then I get questions. People email me. What does the church think about this? What does the church say about this? How is the church responding to this? And I'm getting better at this. I'm, like, I'm a people pleaser, so I don't like to do this like too much because I don't want to ruffle too many feathers. But what I really want to write back is, I'm not sure. What are you doing to respond to that? Well, what does the church say about this? I don't know. What do you say about that? Because you, if you have declared Jesus as king, you are the church. And our church actually says a lot of different things about that. Now, one thing that our church says that's the same exact thing, the one thing most important is Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the king. That's our unifying cry. Now, we might say a lot of different things about a lot of different ideas and questions and all of that. And I think God will work that out among and within us. And it's okay if we disagree at times, but we're not going to disagree on this, that Jesus is king. He's the Messiah. And this is the good news for the world. What is the church doing to respond to this situation? I don't know. What are you doing to respond to that situation? What are you doing on the front lines to respond to that situation? And I think one of the best things that we can do to practice this is that we can remember that the church isn't something I go and do on Sunday. The church is me. And when I walk through my life and I go to Target or Sprouts or Walmart or Fry's or I don't know, we're equal here, right? Safeway, what's another one? I don't want to leave anybody out. We're all in, right? Wherever you go, that when you go to those places and you see other people, even if you have huge disagreements, you see them as a child of God. That when, when you hear someone make a statement that you completely disagree with and you think is the most ridiculous thing in the world for someone to say, that you remember that Jesus brought those different statements and ideas into the inner circle. Simon the Zealot thought Matthew was ridiculous. I mean, he probably wanted to punch him. Do you ever want to punch someone these days? Do you ever find yourself just wanting to, you know, I just, I just, I'll tell you what I think about that. Let me just tell you what I, do you find yourself in that situation? Anyone? Come on, if you can't be honest in church, where can you be honest? Do you ever feel that way? I know some of you have because I see your, you post it. <laughs> that when you feel that rising up within you, you remember. No, 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 no. Jesus invited them to the table and he loves them more than I can ever imagine. And I don't know that I agree with him loving them that much, but he does. And so therefore, as the church, as the people who are committed to Jesus, I'm going to be committed to this person too. And though I may not understand their perspective, 
who knows, I may never agree with their perspective, but I can do the same thing that Jesus did, who quietly and silently stretched out his arms to be nailed to a tree for all this crazy, I almost said stupid things that you and I do. And there's plenty of them, aren't there? But he didn't say a word. He just willingly said, I'll take it. And from that cross, with nails in his hand, one of the comments that we have that Jesus spoke was, Father, forgive them. Not, Father, judge them. Not, Father, send them to hell because of what I'm going through right now. You know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them. For they don't fully understand what they're doing right now. What would it look like for the church to respond with that kind of love in the diversity and the division we see in the world today? That's the church I want to be a part of. And that's the church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. So, this is where you got to talk. We can't wait to see you again. Thanks for joining us online as well. Stick with us for the one last song, Good, good Grace. Let's sing about good grace. Good grace.